Welcome to Transparency Podcast. This is your host, Ronnie B. and Big Mama Mia. We're super excited for our first joint podcast episode with Jamie and Robin from If If These These Ovaries Ovaries Could Talk. Talk. We had an amazing conversation with them about raising our kids during the pandemic of COVID-19. And in the era of Black Lives Matter. We hope you guys enjoy the conversation too. Here you go. Well, hello, hello, hello. <laughs> Hi. Hi, guys. Introduce yourselves. Hi, everyone. I am Mia. I go by Big Mama around this house. Yes. <laughs> I'm Rhonda, and most of the time, everyone calls me Ronnie. And you don't have like a Big Mama? You're not like Small Mama? She has no cool <laughs> nickname. No, it's just <laughs> Ronnie. All cool mom things are mine. <laughs> I feel like Ronnie's a cool nickname. I do too. Anyway. I do yeah. too. <laughs> So. I'm Jamie. And I'm Robin. And I go by Jamie. Oh, got, she goes by Jamie. <laughs> but she has a weird spelling of her name and it makes her mad when people misspell it. Robin likes to make Google Docs and drive me slightly crazy. It's true, I do. A little bit. It's true. Yeah. For yeah. everyone who's tuning in, whether you're on the Transparency podcast or the If These Ovaries Could Talk podcast, Mia and Ronnie reached out to us and we were like, we had a conversation about like possibly being a guest on the podcast. And we were like, yes, obviously. Yeah. And then we were like, mm-hmm. OK, well, let's do something cool. And we decided we were going to do the first ever collaboration with another podcast where we would you know, work together and it'd be like a dual episode. And so we're going to all do elevator pitches and introduce ourselves. It's exciting. And I'm so glad you guys reached out. This is a, a conversation that needs to happen. Yeah. But oh, let's absolutely. not get ahead of ourselves. You are ahead of yourself, Jamie. Elevator pitch. <laughs> do it. No chicken out now. Oh my God. We just got challenged. We just, yes. Jamie, we okay. just got like handled. We got challenged. I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. Last time we tried this, we were a we, mess. we got 30 <laughs> okay. seconds, Jamie. We are doing it. You go first. And we're going to explain our relationships plus the podcast in 30 seconds. Jamie, we got oh, this. Yeah. Okay. On your mark, get set, go, Jamie. Hi, I'm Jamie. I um I am married to my <laughs> wife. We've been um, together 12 years. We have two children, a six-year-old and a two-year-old. Who are driving us crazy right now during this crazy COVID time. Okay, I'm Robin and I'm married to Mary. And Mary likes to say that I'm Miranda Hobbs and she is Steve standing behind me holding the bag. And we have a podcast called If These Ovaries Could Talk. Go, Jamie. Seven and, seconds. Um, it's, oh my God, it's, it's all about um, being queer parents and um, elevating and uplifting our, our queer And getting families. our stories out there. 32 yes. seconds. Holy crap, that's yes. stressful. Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's super like fast and to, to get all that information in at once. Like, I have a newfound respect for what we're doing to people. I'm, I apologize Listening. to everyone we've ever done that to. Oh, God. Okay. As Ronnie, right. Ronnie talks a lot, so this is going to take her. I don't, I don't know about right. these guys. <laughs> on your mark, get set, go. Hi, everyone. I'm Big Mama Mia. I am a tech consultant and product manager. I am also co-host of Transparency Podcast with my beautiful now fiance. As of this weekend, we have three children. They are 14, 7, and 2. Um, we live in the DMV area. And I am Ronnie, and I'm the romantic that just proposed over the weekend to my now fiance. And I'm a queer mom. We have three Beautiful children, age 14, seven, and two. I had to think about that. And you uh, two seconds. Oh, you did. <laughs> okay. I think we went over our time. Go ahead. Well, listen, 45 seconds. I was too busy thinking about. Yeah, you could have gotten that. That could have been 35 seconds. You're right. Mm-hmm. Uh, wait a second. Congratulations. Oh Thank you. Ronnie, how'd you do it? We how'd didn't know. I had a very nice quarantine proposal. Okay, so oh, sorry. how I did it. 
I originally was going to propose in Bali in April and COVID hit. Uh, so all of that went to crap. So I, I didn't have a ring and also didn't have Bali. So I decided to <laughs> recreate Bali in the backyard. We just bought a home. We just mm-hmm. moved in our new home in March and our backyard is enormous. So I just went above and beyond. I rented a, a what do you call those things? Um, a tent and all sorts of- It was uh, like tent and tiki torches glistening lights. It was very cute. Wow. Torches oh, and literally did the whole Bali thing in the backyard. I just, just literally just pulled up all these pictures of Bali and just recreated it. And then uh, surprised her and I told her that we were going on a date night and get all dressed up and cute. <laughs> I got a temporary ring. Because I still have the ring that I paid a zillion dollars for. <laughs> and she came home to meet us to go out. And to her surprise, we were in the backyard waiting. Oh, my God. And Mia, you had no idea? I had no idea. I was, like, powering through the front door because I'm like, we're going to be late for this date. And everyone was in the backyard. And it was gorgeous. And they were like, will you marry me masks on? And it was just Aww. very, very Oh, I forgot that, that detail. Yeah. Oh, Ronnie's a romantic. Wow, you really put some thought into this. <laughs> Thank you. A month prior, uh, we've been stuck in a house together. She decided to leave out one day. And I was like, oh my God, this is my opportunity. So I called her parents and she has a stepmom and her dad and then her mom and her stepdad. So I called them all on FaceTime. I was like, hey, I need you guys' blessing. Are you, you know, I'm, I want to propose, <laughs> but she's been in the house with me and she's too nosy. So I need you to tell me now, do I have your blessing or not? And speak quickly. <laughs> so it all worked out. Oh, did you take pictures? Did you put them up on the social? Are they around? There are pictures oh, on yeah. our social. Congratulations. Yes. Thank you. So, exciting. so let's talk about you guys reaching out to us. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So we started this podcast and it was obviously Transparency Podcast. We got a lot of good feedback on it. But then the next thing that I thought is like, you know, we're talking to our friends, people who know us people who are used to our platform like who is someone else that we can talk to that we can get these very important messages across to and so i just did some research and listened to a few of you guys episodes and i'm like they sound really sweet and like they'd be open to this i'm just gonna shoot my shot and send a message they're gonna say yes or they're gonna say no but i think that we could have some good chemistry in this conversation and that's what i really wanted someone that we could have chemistry with someone that i felt like would be willing to like learn and share their audience with us. Cause I feel like all of this is a little part of our hearts. I agree hundred percent. And um, we tell our listeners all the time, if you write to us, chances are I know. we're going to write you back. And we might be like, do you want to be on the podcast? You should be on the podcast. <laughs> Come on the podcast. Be on our podcast. Yeah. So we're really glad you reached out because you know, we want to talk about queer parenting, of course, mm-hmm. and being gay mothers, but also being black queer parents and that's what your podcast focuses on right right exactly it's all about black womanhood and black queerness and queer motherhood and like you said the intersection of all of those things black and queer and motherhood and anything that falls underneath of that umbrella i love it and and i think everybody knows that it's so necessary yeah representation matters it does yes so it's kind of the reason we started with a facebook group i was in you know when you become a mom you're in all these little mommy groups and mommy and me this and mommy and me that and so i felt like i had to choose between like queer groups or black mother groups and 
or like, mm. and then just like also like black lesbian groups. So I, there was nothing that like catered to all of those things. And I'm like, there are some conversations I need to have. And I want for my kids to see families that look like ours mm-hmm. every, mm-hmm. you know, every so yeah, often. So yeah, I just was like, I talked to Ronnie and I was like, let's start this group. And so we started a Facebook group and now it has what a thousand members. So it just makes me feel wonderful every time I get on there. It's just like, an abyss of like black queer moms like me who want to talk about the things that I want to talk about. And they have questions about like things that I also had questions about. That's great. And there was clearly a void for it, Yeah, which Mm -hmm. is what we learned when we started our podcast. There was a void for families like ours. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like Facebook is a, is a pile of steaming, you know, poo a lot of times, but it's Mm -hmm. really great for those specific groups like we've been oh, able yeah. to find so many groups and so many people that we can talk to and 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 that we're pulling guests from and that are, it's just been such a great resource. And I, I know that there's yeah. just reading the messages. There's so many people that just are going through it, whether as queer parents or whatever they're going through. And there's just there's always someone who's like, oh, I've been through that. It's those those groups are fantastic. Absolutely. I yeah. mean, to me, I think I was impressed because, you know, even today I woke up and I wake up to a lot of messages on the uh group chat and mm. everyone's talking about different resources for known donors and how to legalize this and how to legal it the, the resources are endless there because yeah. of the network mm-hmm. that we created and so I was pretty impressed that it was all your vision the trend this week has been like how can we find black donors yeah is that the, the void a, there's like a shortage yeah yeah, yeah. Of black why donors. do you think that is I yeah. honestly the question I honestly don't know. Yeah. I would think that, well, for one, I feel like Black people in general have things with medical care and not wanting to go to the doctor for many things. Oh, facts. Yeah. Um, so I think that that's probably part of it. I also think that some time ago I may have heard that like maybe Black babies weren't in as in demand or maybe Black men are being paid as much. I wondered I if some of that was going on in terms of the selection. Yeah. You know what? I wonder if it's the sperm banks are not like that's what i mean in black communities mm-hmm. for donors and that's a big possibility yeah. that's weird because that's normally something that mia would have read up on by now and she's and, mia and got all of me because no i didn't do my <laughs> i wonder well if anybody's listening and has answers to this write in let us know because yeah. i i wonder what what that's about yeah and are your guys kids donor conceived they are not so our two-year-old i had outside of our relationship and then yeah. I think we met, she was like she was, maybe two months old. old. Oh my And goodness. it was like my first time like out of the house and here we are. So yeah. <laughs> my story is a bit different. I've actually been married before to a man, mm-hmm. unhappily oh. obviously. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, uh, I was married before and, and, and both of my, uh, the 14 year old and seven year old came out of that marriage. And so. Big, happy, blended family mm-hmm. realness. Wow. I love a good blended family. I love those stories because oh, it's yeah. so nice when people find each other and it all comes together and works. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We've talked to a lot of blended families. Both of us um, have donor conceived yeah. kids. We will definitely be reaching out for some, well, maybe, not definitely. You going to have another one? Maybe. Oh, oh, hey, hey. There are some mornings where it's like, let's just have another one. We're in this together. And then the other mornings <laughs> we're like, with a two year old in all, the house. I wish everyone could see Ronnie's face right now. Cause I don't know that Ronnie's all in the same <laughs> space as Mia. Like, don't do that. She's just white as saucer. earlier today. <laughs> let's talk about parenting during the time of the COVID and quarantining. I'm just super surprised that all of us lived 
through yes. this. Um, <laughs> we survived. Seriously. Do you mean didn't get the coronavirus or just you made it through together? All of it. <laughs> All of the above. We survived Agreed. COVID parenting. Yes. Um, <laughs> And and the in the very large grocery bills that came with it. Oh my it. god! I know. I know. <laughs> Isn't it crazy how much money you spend on food when you're home all the time? All the time. What? Yeah. The? And me cooking three oh. meals a day and Ugh. homeschooling. I and then like the it. girls miss their friends, so they're very clingy and needy. Yep. They like mm-hmm. want to mm-hmm. play all the time. It's mm-hmm. taking a lot of patience. Yeah, and I, I I lose my temper way more than I should, and I really mm-hmm. have learned. I don't have much patience. No. <laughs> I always say to Jamie, we're all starting at a seven. You're never alone. So you never get to reset back to like a one. Yes. So you're, you're just like a hair trigger. And, it, you know, to that point, I think that it also affected, you know, our relationship mm-hmm. in a sense that we we never had time to spend with each other. We had to make up date nights like doing puzzles together. Okay, puzzles that we never you, finished. Right. Yeah, you never get to finish <laughs> You don't get to finish because those. Because the romance, it was just like, far in between at that at that yeah. point it's like okay we're trying to survive now so when we get to bed we're asleep yep and then yeah. <laughs> trying to explain to my job that it's not like me being in the office like when i'm not in a meeting i'm probably feeding someone or taking someone to the potty or taking myself to the potty or feeding myself like i'm Possibly doing things or or nursing, nursing or right. you know setting someone up for a zoom class yep. or a microsoft teams class or Helping to get through, you know, one page of a chapter book after 50 million hours. And I have to pause at that now. Or helping me with a math problem that I'm about to just go crazy over. <laughs> because when I try to teach it, they're just like, yeah. And that doesn't help that they're not very open to her teaching styles. They would rather wait for Uh-oh. me. Yeah. And it shows in their attitudes. Uh-oh. Yeah, I keep getting in power struggles with my kids. Like the teaching, like I'm just like, do it this way. And it's like, that doesn't help anybody. <laughs> I'm so tired of the homeschooling. Oh, I'm so glad it's over. You guys have a seven and a 14-year-old. Yes. So two oldest. Yes. So you're like, I have a six-year-old have and stage. a two-year-old. So mm-hmm. we're in the same stage, but you have an extra yeah. one on Yes. That <laughs> you have every single stage. It's horrible. Yeah. Oh, we have every single stage. It. We're going through all the phases at all times. So you can imagine when she's in a meeting, I'm trying to manage all three of them mm-hmm. by myself. Huh? You do this worksheet. Why are you not finished that by and now? you go get your iPad because it's not your turn right now. Yeah. <laughs> and, and yeah, meanwhile, the two-year-old is just all over you yes. or trying to run out of the house mm-hmm. or trying to climb up onto a counter and jump off. We're having a breakdown for... Yeah, she's having a, a crybaby. It's oh, everything, oh, everything hurts too. her feelings. Yeah. Mm. Her feelings. She baby. says owie when her feelings <laughs> is getting Yeah, so. she said, she'll go, ow, ow, ow. Oh, <laughs> no one's hurting <laughs> Yeah, no, my son fake cries now. He fakes it. Oh, God. It's a thing. It's a whole thing. And then my daughter, <laughs> he's faking it. He's not crying. I didn't even touch him. See, that's our 14-year-old talking about our 7-year-old. She just wants your attention. She's not. There's nothing actually wrong. Wow. But we're making it through. Yes, I think. We're going to make it through this, guys. We're going to be yeah, stronger. I think we all have a deeper appreciation for it teachers. Oh my God. Right. Every day. I mean, I always knew that I didn't want to homeschool. I always knew I didn't want to be a stay at home mom. I knew I this. I always knew that. I knew this. <laughs> See, I'm, I'm different. I don't know guys. Cause she, right. I here. was team like let's homeschool world school. Let's do all <laughs> the things. And I'm still like team those things. I can see how like our schedule works better for the types of learners. Our kids are. Yeah. Mm. I can see that. 
the good mom part of me feels like I'm so grateful for this extra time with you guys. That's awesome because that's what I should say. And then, um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think the hard part for me has been keeping up with the way that their schools want me to teach. Yeah. And yeah, you have a full-time job at me. the same time. Yeah. When you homeschool, you're not also trying to take conference calls and do work. Like that's yes. the part that is like, if I could get any one task done without getting up and being like, did you do this? And then sitting back down, did you do this? Sitting back down. You cannot work mm-hmm. that way. And that's, that's yeah. the hardest part. All right. Well, let's do a little bit of a right turn. It's not really a right turn, but it's one of the things we wanted to talk about the intersection of COVID and the BLM movement and queer folks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love what you wrote in your mm-hmm. bullet points. You said we have two pandemics. Yeah. We oh, yeah. most definitely have two pandemics happening in the United States of America right now. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. the BLM movement, the Black Lives Matter movement, needs to be spoken about and, and be uh, kept being brought up and being brought to intention, right? Because mm-hmm. it's so, it, it, I feel like this could so easily just fall back down by the wayside. Yeah. Oh, like absolutely. how many times and, before? Right. Yeah, we can't, we can't lose the momentum this time. And one thing that I've been extra intentional about is that this movement can't leave Black queer women behind. Yes. Um, black women behind because as we've seen t- things typically lose steam after black men get whatever they feel is enough justice and the world feels like that's enough because men are like up yeah. here then it, things lose steam and that can't happen this time yeah we're saying true. all of the girls names this time yes say their names and the black trans women as well say yes, their names especially black trans women because yes. they they're getting they're getting a big brunt of this and as they always yeah. do like I was, we're at the intersection of things that's two things that disproportionately affect us racism and then covid as well and how it's spreading through our communities and our lack of medical adequate medical care and attention right. um yep. just because black women are often seen as stronger so like things like Maternal care, you can, you know, I don't know how many stories I've read where women have died after saying that they're in pain because doctors don't really believe that you're in that much pain. Yeah, yeah. they don't get meds, right? That's like a, a yeah. recurring thing that happens. Yeah. It's so archaic. It goes all the way back to, I just read that the first doctors who performed surgeries would perform surgeries on slave, slave yeah. women without anesthesia because they mm-hmm. thought they didn't feel pain. Yeah. I mean, there was the study, I just swear, I just watched the video on it where they asked doctors what last, maybe last year, the same question. And they truly believed that if you had black skin, that your skin was thicker. So you felt less pain. What? This was not old slave time news. <laughs> like the medical the? community. Yes. You know, I, it's I like, haven't... that's disgusting. It, 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 yeah. What the actual fuck? It's yeah. crazy. Yes. Sorry, I had to swear there. This is no. it's just this is this is and a Jamie, big, you act big... as if we don't swear all the time. <laughs> don't try to act nicer than you are right now, Jamie. You can't pull that shit off. I'm like just, I am I'm really baffled by I mean I shouldn't be baffled because this is this is the world we live in. This is the system we live in. Absolutely. But I, I just I can't believe that. That makes me want to cry. Really. Yeah. It's it's difficult. I mean, even when I think about the impact that this time is having on our kids. Like on one hand, 
they're missing their friends, they're missing their teachers, they're missing their other familiar relationships, cousins, aunties, everyone else. And then now we're also saying, you know, all these people are outside protesting for your livelihood. What do you want to do, kids? Like, because, you know, tell us how you would like for us to help support you and what you want to do for this yeah. movement. So they're like, okay, we, we can or we can't go outside and we can or we can't be in groups. You know, and I'm like, you have, we're going to have to choose our battle because one of these things has existed for a very long time. And one of these things is new to us. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think the first conversation we had was with our 14 year old because mm-hmm. he's more um, exposed to, you know, news and, you know, seeing, you know, different things on loops and we wanted to be there to help him process those things. Um, and and I, I think that psychologically, it definitely takes a toll on um, you know, black kids and, you know, not just, like you said, it's not just one pandemic we're dealing with. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, that the whole deal. Okay. There's so many people in the world dying from COVID, but then you know, we have the police brutality mm-hmm. and things like that that we're dealing with. Um, so I think on both hands, it's just, it's just, it's a stressor. Yeah. yeah. And we need for our kids to be safe even after COVID. Right. There's, there's life on the other side of this pandemic. And we've seen how other, not that our country is handling it the same way, but we've seen other countries are now coming out on the other side of it. Mm -hmm. And for us, we have to acknowledge that on the other side of this, racism is still going to be there. So what moves do we need to take now for playing the long game? Yeah, we've eradicated this pandemic. Now, what are you going to do about this systemic pandemic that has been going Mm -hmm. on since the beginning of this country and even before that? Yeah. What are we going to do? Absolutely. And I do think that that point you made was really interesting about there's like a little bit of progress and then it's enough for somebody and then right. it gets sort of dropped. And it's, I, mm-hmm. I, that's something I keep thinking about, about how do we not, it almost reminds me of the Trump news cycle. Like we get outraged mm-hmm. by something he did. And then it's like the next day we're outraged by something else or like gun violence. Like it, it, we're outraged. There's another school shooting and then we go about our days and then we come back to, it's like, we're, I feel like as a country, we're in a place where these, we keep doing that. So like, how do well, we, I think Jamie brought up a good point earlier. She said something about that we keep talking about it. So I feel like a lot of what I've seen in the media is that no one's talking about protests anymore. No one's really talking about those things, but they're still happening. So platforms like yours, platforms like ours, we keep talking about it because Mm -hmm. now we have things like Twitter and Instagram and Apple Podcasts and Spotify, all these other places where people are getting their news. It's no longer just up to CNN to put a spotlight on what's important and what's not. Mm-hmm. Or, you, you know, your Bloomberg articles or whoever. It's no longer on them to say what's important enough for us to be speaking about when we have all of these platforms that give our, that lift our voices up. Yeah, I mean, and it, as, as white people in this country, we have an obligation. I was just reading, um, so you want to talk about race? And something that has stuck with me ever since I read it was you know, as white people, it's not enough on your social media. Like it's not enough to just share a post. Don't just share a post, actually share it and put your words on top of it Mm -hmm. as a white person to be an ally, to be an anti-racist, to help this thing forward. Because just sharing it is that's just like face value. That's like, here I am. I'm sharing this post because I believe in this movement, but it's not. It's like the least thing you can do. Is that what you're saying, Jamie? Yeah, it's lazy. Right. And it's not it's not fighting the fight that needs to be fought. One of the things that, and I hadn't thought of it, one of the things that one of my coworkers does well, she's also a white woman, she'll say, you know, I'm blocking off this part of my day 
to go make phone calls on behalf of this person or go and make, you know, write letters to on behalf of this person or donate to this. If you want to join me, let me know. I can, you know, send you the, the resources that I'm using. But just so you know, don't contact me during this part of the day because this is what I'm going to be doing. That's so really it's interesting. Sharing, but not putting the burden on anyone else, but also letting, like, it makes me feel supported at mm-hmm. work. Um, like someone understands that there might be other things on my mind other than this work. Right. <laughs> or, that, or that it's not your job to explain to us what your plight is. It's our job to do the research and find out what's happening and how we can help. It's not your job to do that. Can we, can we talk about that a little bit? Like we, cause we, we, that's one of the things that like, I think has started to come up in the last like five or 10 years. It used to be this whole, like, and, and hopefully I'm saying this well, we all know that I don't say many things well. So I feel like that's a good, you know, precursor (laughs) for anything I'm about to say. But like, (laughs) I really do. I have a good heart. No, but like, there used to be this like, oh, like I think a feeling of a lot of people be like, I'll ask my black friend about that. And it's like that's a horrible burden to be putting on your one black friend to speak for all black people and to not do your own research. Like, can can you speak a little bit to that? Like, you know, people don't think about the emotional labor that comes with those questions. You know, you could be triggering someone when talking about the, like these police brutality Black death, all these things are triggering for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, I think the first thing that if you are going to ask someone a question, I, I always say, don't come to my house empty handed. Don't come <laughs> to the table empty handed. Like, do show me that you did something yeah. on your own. Like, I'm on top of like, okay, let, I can fill in the gaps mm-hmm. or add on my perspective, but I can't or I don't want to have to teach you from ground zero. I want to know that you've done at least some of the work on your own. Um, Mm -hmm. I think you also need to just evaluate your relationship with, you know, your black friend or black coworker or whoever, before you just dive in the deep and like, what do I do about racism? Yeah, that's true because I'm so glad you asked me that, Mia. I'm going to tell you. Talk about it. And then there are certain black, you know, people who don't mind sitting down with you like, hey, this is what it is. Like, I'm one of those people. Mm -hmm. I believe in educating, you know, I'm like sit down, let's have a conversation. This is the do or, you know, the do's and do nots. And, you know, this is what you should ask. This is what, what's appropriate. This is what, what's not appropriate in my own opinion. And I'll add that on the end because <laughs> I don't speak for all black people, but right. I don't mind, I don't, you know, the way I see it is if we want, you know, non-blacks or, or whites to be more educated and be more informed, we have to be willing to teach. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, one point she made is everybody's not a teacher, right? Everybody's not. Yes. Um, and it's a conversation we had, you know, in the background one day mm-hmm. and she was like, well, everybody's not there. And I was like, you know what? I didn't think of it like that. Yeah. So I guess the burden, you know, you know, more so goes on people like me who are willing to teach, like I'm willing to sit down and have a conversation, have those difficult conversations. Like, Hey, what, what question do you want to ask? Yeah. Because, you know, some people, they feel so uncomfortable to have those conversations that they're just like, okay, I don't, I'm not going to ask. So then I'm not going to learn. So that's why I like what you said, mm-hmm. doing your own research, you know, doing your own reading or whatever you need to do to figure out what, what it is that you're trying to learn or how you can make a difference. That's really important. Yeah. And I'll say my, my last point is just figure out why you're asking and why you're trying to take the action that you're taking. A lot of white people, white men, white women, will do things that come off as alleviating guilt for them. So like, like I've had 
questions like, is it cultural appropriation for me to have dreadlocks? Because I've been growing my dreadlocks for 20 years and I'm very attached to them and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, do you want to learn about culture, cultural appropriation or do you want someone to say it's okay for you your dreadlocks? Or say that, exactly. you know, sorry, I understand and make it like, okay, well, this black person said it's cool, so it's cool. You are my so I just like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> figure out, you know, what your so intention what your intention is and what you're asking. I have to say I've been guilty of this up until recently too. Like I, Mm -hmm. I would always ask my black friends, like, is it okay that I do this? Is it okay that I say that? Not realizing the tax it was putting on my black friends. And and even like about six months ago, I asked my, one of my closest friends, Allison, I asked her black woman, I asked, I have a, a Maya Angelou shirt and it has the quote and still like air I rise which is one of my favorite poems. And I was wearing it with her. And I I asked her, I said, is it okay that I wear this? You know, that's such a selfish question to even ask of her. But I'm I'm in my own world, in my own white world. And she said to me, she just, just the way she answered me, said it all to me and I got the message. She said, well, I don't speak for all black people. (laughs) (laughs) She said, but it doesn't bother me. You know, and it was just like, it just that sentence brought it home to me. And I was like, yeah. oh, my God, I can't. Why did what is, you know? Well, I didn't think about the triggering thing that you said, because like Ronnie, I'm very much like I think of the intersectionality of this conversation between queerness and blackness in that I always feel like I can't expect someone who doesn't who has never met a gay person to understand what it means to be me. And I've always been of the person like Mary, my wife's dad was 93 when she told him, which I was like, he knows. Well, guess what? He didn't. Um, and I was pregnant and there was, there was a lot for him to try to understand. And, and she couldn't help him because she's not a teacher. But I was like, he needs your help to come. He's 93 years old. Like, he's not getting there on his own. Like, and yeah. you're ne- we're never going to see him again. And he's not going to meet his grandchildren. And ultimately, her sister stepped in and helped with that. And so I have always come from that thinking of like, that's what I would do. But I'd never thought of the triggering thing and all of that and the emotional toll it would put on a person to speak for everyone. Mm-hmm. So right. I, I think that's yeah. a really great point. Mm-hmm. And, and Ronnie's a, a lot nicer than me. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, and, and I want to say throughout this interview, if Robin and I say anything that she is started with triggering me. Did you see for that? you. She what? said she started with Robin. Robin and Robin and I. You hear that? If we say any, like this is this is a learning space for us. We're two white women who are trying to do our best, but we mess up. So, mm-hmm. like, if we say anything that's triggering or that we said the wrong thing, you have to call us Blame out. You Jamie. have to say it. You have to hold yeah. us accountable. And I know you would, but we want oh, you to yeah, know. Me, me is the person. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's me. She's that's your go-to. I, I should have said that in the beginning <laughs> that she's the nice one. But like, so for me, you 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 explain the, the story about your wife and. Uh, her dad has never seen a gay person. Like for me, when it comes to talking about like blackness and queerness, my questions are like, why have you never, you know, been in spaces with black people or queer people? What is it about your life or the, or the energy that you're putting off that no one is like that in your space? Mm. That's weird for me. Mm-hmm. For me, it's not. It's just uh, the world we live in. I mean, and I, that, that I mean, how many black us. people are in the world and how many gay people are in the world? Like, yeah, mm-hmm. no. Like, you just I, never I came guess. across one. Well, actually, or he's got gay people in his family, like, but I think he just never. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. They just but, not feel like they could say I'm gay to you. Yeah, right. yeah. I mean, I think it's just that he <laughs> right. he comes from West Virginia, and mm-hmm. he's an old old white dude, 
And that's yeah. it. And that's he's lived in a comfortable bubble. And that was part of the reason where I said to her, I said, I'm not going to go to your dad's house and pretend I'm just fat. I'm six months pregnant. We're having a baby. It's time. And that and that. But we didn't see him for six years after that because they couldn't wow. they couldn't talk. They just couldn't figure out how to talk. For me, what I what I meant by is the world we live in is we, we live in this heteronormative world where people still exist in. Where's your mommy? Where's your daddy? Do you have a boyfriend? You know, and we get our kids get asked that all the time, you know? Oh my God. Where's your mom and your dad? You know, and when the kids still, when their friends still meet me, they still say, did you ask your mom and your dad? (laughs) You know, it's one of those things. It's just the way that people are conditioned. That's what I'm trying to say. Like down to like doc, like there were times I went to the doctor alone and they're just like, Oh, well, tell your husband. And I'm like, ma'am, you don't see a ring. You didn't ask me. You shouldn't have assumed. I'm uncomfortable. I don't want to be here anymore. Like, and that's not the feeling that you should be having as a pregnant woman. You should be all comfortable with your doctor and who's like checking out your junk. And, but no, you're, <laughs> you're not. Because now she's like, what did the doctor say to me? Like how you made them is how you have them or something yeah, like that. Yeah. To that effect. Like, you said through science? <laughs> she was trying to say that, I guess, sperm... Helps the baby helps come the out. membrane like lose tear or oh, do something. She was trying to say but have sex with your husband. Have sex. Yes, yeah. she was saying basically ha- have, have sex, sex so and help so I can have. Oh so I can have Wait, baby. come to think of it, somebody told me to have sex when I was pregnant. I was like, you realize that's not going to work for me. Well, they, no, yeah, it's about yeah. it's about so the orgasm like that. that's supposed to help. <laughs> the orgasm is supposed say, to help that. Yeah, orgasm is great for that, um, and that, yes. we can do that. But. Um, <laughs> <laughs> orgasms we can do what just happened i will say that when it comes to like the microaggressions and the aggressions we experience Uh, as gay and queer people in the world in the systemic problems we have in the world for us versus the 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 microaggressions and the aggressions and the racism you guys face as black people in the world are, are are different in in a major aspect in that we can pass yes as not gay we can hide if we need to, if we feel unsafe, like for instance, mm-hmm. my wife and I were just staying in this upstate town in the country that I don't Red think state. has many gay people. And my wife had mm-hmm. taken the car to the garage to get it fixed. And I was the one that was going to pick it up. And I had the two-year-old in the stroller. And my whole walk there, I'm thinking, oh, how am I going to explain who I am? Am I going to say my wife dropped the car off? Am I going to say my wife? Am I, I, like, I, but I could make the choice of what the relationship is going to be. I can hide if I have to. I'm not saying you should. And when you have, small, when you have kids, it's, you shouldn't hide because you should show pride in your family and your, who you are. But Absolutely. black people, you can't hide. Yeah. And that's a big, big difference between yes. the challenges we face. And, and I'll add to that, you know, um, also I'm masculine presenting, you, you mean, for people who can't see me. And so, and, and I'm Ronnie and, and mm-hmm. I'm masculine presenting. So you, that's also an aspect of um, our relationship and lesbian, you know, relationship that I, I can't hide. No, when I go down the street, people know. you know, most, you or know, they assume. They, or, they're, or, they're, or they assume, you know, uh, so, and then I get this a lot. So are you the man of the relationship? Uh, <laughs> Uh, and I'm like, no, I'm the woman of the relationship. You know, I mean, it's literally the reason I'm here. <laughs> so, That's good. so, so even in that sense, it's, it's, it's still like, and on a queer aspect of things, you know, I, I can't hide. Mia can pass. Right. You know, most people yep. still think like, oh, she's straight. She's a straight, beautiful black woman. And 
Right. We can't you know, all love her. Did you think what he just see? She called her beautiful. They're ready. I know. And then they look at each other's eyes. Meanwhile, I'm going to walk out of here and be like, baby, I'm sweating. That's what's going to happen. I gotta go it's take funny, another shower. Uh, funny, funny, quick story. The uh, she was sitting out on our front porch the other day, and we had just gotten off the phone, and the mailman came by, and he was like, "Hey, ma'am, how are you?" He was like, "I don't see a ring on your finger. Are you single?" You know, oh. <laughs> you know. He's like automatically. Smack. If I was sitting on the front porch, he'd be like, "Hey, what's up?" Yeah, <laughs> that is a lie. Because the old mailman, we have two mailmen. The old mailman did hit on. Really? Yes. She's like, really? I do get I hit on sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, you're both beautiful, beautiful women. Thank so. you. Oh, yeah. There goes Jamie. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about the, the BLM movement and kids. Yeah. Where do we start? Well, Where how about we how, do I, how about talking to your, we kind of touched on talking to your kids about the Black Lives Matter movement and George Floyd. Mm-hmm. Where do you start? I think we get asked all the time, like, do we say what happened to our kids? Do we talk about, like, how real do we sort of get? And I think that for me, that one of our goals as Black parents is that our kids have to be educated on race and the impact that racism is going to have on their lives and on their friends' lives and people that look like them, even if it's not really, if even if it never really becomes their full, like, violent truth, like, this will still, you'll still experience these microaggressions or people like you, or you'll see on TV it happening to people like you. So for me, if I have to take that on, I feel that white parents and non-black parents, they also need to take that on. Like yeah. you need to be taking on a goal that says, I'm going to actively teach my kids to be anti-racist. It's never going to just be good enough that, you know, you are colorblind or it's never going to be good enough that you're just not a racist in your home. That's, it's not enough at this point. No. Yeah. I think for us, um, the actual conversation, because of course we're homeschooling mm-hmm. right now. And so for us, it started with our 14 year old making various, you know, comments about the George Floyd uh, incident. And after a while, we were like, hey, we got to have this conversation. You know, we can't put this off any longer. Um, And we also wanted to be a support for him to, you know, kind of process those things and whatever he was feeling. We didn't really know he was making like comments here and there around the house and things that he was seeing online and Twitter, the Twitter. What kind can I ask what kind of comments he was making? He would say he quite often makes like little political comments about Trump and about police officers and just about like, I think one of them was he, they, they're more concerned about, Oh, he was talking about writing. Right. It seems like everybody's more concerned with writing than they are about that. Somebody died. And I turned to Ronnie. I was like, okay, we got to talk to him Mm -hmm. because he's getting angry. And like, we had been, it's not that we didn't want to talk to him, but I mean, we're processing trying to figure this out and like trying to mourn, like people that look at death and while trying to figure out how to support. Yeah. Um, while yeah. still trying to stay, stay safe because of COVID. So because and, he had- And, and made, I didn't think about this, sorry to interrupt, but he's a 14 year old. He's yeah. up in the media. He's looking at Twitter. So he's seeing both, he can see both sides. He can see what people are commenting yeah. back. Yes. And he has like- And very he has, he's like- Conversation with people. On I that. was in the comments <laughs> and I'm <laughs> arguing. I'm like, son, mommy could have told you, stay out of the comments. Or so in the comments. <laughs> Don't it's go a in the comments. Like, and he's like, what should be my clap back? And I'm just oh. like, oh my gosh. Like, please, so, son, it's okay. So to add a little even more information, <laughs> we have a queer son. Yeah. He's very, oh. he's, he, he's very opinionated. Good for him. But yeah, so he started making those comments. And so then when we talked about having the conversation with him, I was like, Ronnie, we really need to do it. So we 
just took the opportunity to sit all of them down. Not so much the two-year-old. She doesn't sit still for that long. But <laughs> <laughs> what we did say, we just started the conversation and how I would advise other parents to start the conversation is just asking them what they already know yes. mm. and how they already feel because they know things. The stuff that like our son, we, I realized that we're blessed to have a son that talks to us. Yeah. The stuff that he used to come home from school talking about, he heard this on the bus, he heard that, his cousin told him this. They know they more know than, more than that you're, you're giving them credit. Right. That's a good point. Yeah. Even the tiny ones, like even our they seven really do. still mm-hmm. like make comments. And I'm like, where did you? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> where did mm. that come they from? They hear everything though. Like, yeah. And they hear sponges. everything. Oh God, they're always listening. Yeah. I always tell our seven-year-old, I was like, you're always like inside of my mouth. Like whenever like I'm talking, <laughs> I just see her little eyes like. Yeah. So I have to be yeah. like, what do you say? We always have to have a filter. That's mm-hmm. what she said. Mm-hmm. So, I, I say censor myself. Like, I, I, like when I'm ready to stop, I'm like, all right, I'm tired of censoring myself. Everybody go to bed. Yeah. Let's go. I need some adult like <laughs> yes. time mm-hmm. to okay. be able to say fuck sometimes. Right? Yes. Come on. I, you don't have to worry about little ears. And I'm like, oh. But, you know, the conversation definitely started from, you know, questions. Hey, you know, what's been going on with you? What have you heard about? protesting and black Lives matter movement and george floyd and he had a mouthful and we were able to just to kind of piggyback off what he had already shared with us Mm -hmm. like i see you have a question no i don't have a question (laughs) i that's i think that's an amazing way in i think that's so we really let him lead the conversation and answered whatever it is that he wanted to know about I mean, with a little guidance, you know, but yeah. we also don't want him to go off on a tangent. I was just right? going to say that does a great parenting technique in general. They talk about when you talk to your kids about sex, that's how you're supposed to do it. You're supposed to kind of like see what they know and don't tell them more than yeah. they're ready for. And that kind of, you know, that mm-hmm. like have it be like a led conversation, but they're leading it, which I think is a great yeah. technique. Yeah. I'm not, I don't in, my, in, my, in our first podcast, we were talking about age appropriation and we had to kind of back, back up, back yeah. up from that because it's like every child is different. Mm-hmm. Some children are seven, but they act like they're, you know, 12, you know, mm-hmm. some kids are 12 and they act like they're six. Like if you, you know? have an only child and they're seven, they're like 17 in their head. Some kids are more mature. Than yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it's just a matter of gauging. And, and, and as a parent, you, you pretty much got to got a handle on like what kid is what. Like mm-hmm. London is that child who, like she says, she's always here. She's always listening to every and she's thing. very emotionally intelligent. Very. Like, if there's a conversation about how someone's feeling, how they might be feeling, she's like uh, on top of it, and she has like the vocabulary to what match. She so she was. Day, we were kind of shocked. I don't know, like, but she, she uses words. She's all the time always she's using like, these, like, and I'm like. <laughs> so for her, we talked about you know, do we have the same conversation with our 14 year old that we have with our seven year old? And I say to that, like, you know, the earlier that you start explaining race and, you know, the role that it plays in our lives, that's how it makes it easier for your children to develop empathy and compassion, yes. just a sense of justice at an, at an earlier age. So if she, like, one thing that I will say, if she doesn't understand something, she's going to be like, mommy, I don't understand that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so let, if, the, if you start talking and they don't understand, then okay. Let them tell you that they don't understand or ask them like, okay, do you understand what mommy's talking about? And everyone knows their kids. You can see on their face if they're really picking up or if they're not, but it's not the only time that you get to have the conversation. Eventually it's going to get to a point where they, they start remembering these things. Like even this time where we had the conversation about police brutality, they're like, oh, we talked about this last year or a few months ago or something like Mm -hmm. that. And they start learning a little, picking, remembering a little bit more each time. So you want to build it up. Yeah. 
like start with, you know, the appropriate terms that you feel like they understand or appropriate situations that you feel like they may understand where there would be like, you know, my best friend was here and he was saying that he went for a run in our neighborhood and there was a white father teaching his daughter how to ride a bike. And so, you know, there was the, the murder of Ahmaud yeah. Arbery yep. and he's like, so the dad took that moment and like stopped my best, stopped my best friend and said to his daughter, he's like, is there anything wrong with what this man is doing? And she's like, no, daddy, like, there's nothing wrong. He's like, great. I'm glad you feel like that. Like, just capitalizing on your teaching moments. Because mm-hmm. we don't have many Black men in our neighborhood just running around. Right. So he took that moment to say, what can I teach my daughter about seeing someone that's different than her? And how generally white people or non-Black people feel fear when it's mm-hmm. or that. That's what's causing these incidents is fear yeah. of Black people. And normalizing that for her. Normalizing black people doing everyday damn things that we do. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, and I, and I think yeah. that's awesome. When he, when he told me that, cause he was here over the weekend for the proposal. And I, I was like, yeah, that's awesome to know that I'm living in a neighborhood with people who are so conscious of, yeah. you know, what's going on and, and so willing to teach, you know, their children, which mm-hmm. I think it's one of the ways that all of this is going to end for us, mm-hmm. for our children and their children. Yeah, It's so. all of us collectively coming together and actively working on making sure that, Black people are not seen as a threat. Like everyone's being <laughs> intentional. Yeah. Asking your child what they know about race before you go into your lesson on race is the best idea I've heard of so far. And I yeah. did not do that when I started our conversation. <laughs> we started lecturing. I didn't yeah. do that either, Jamie. And you should, when, you, when you're asking them, you just want to make sure that you're listening because it's going to form how you respond. So mm-hmm. if you're listening to them truly, then you can hear if they're like starting to form biases or stereotypes, or being judgmental. Mm-hmm. And if you don't ask them first, you have no idea what those ideas in their head already look like. You're letting More your child be the leader there. And and I think mm-hmm. it's important to note that that is a way in for both non-Black parents and Black parents. Mm-hmm. Like, this is a mm-hmm. conversation that that can be equal for, for non-Black and Black parents. Whereas, like, a lot of times when you're talking about race, like I, th- I think we have slightly different conversations that have to go on. Like I don't have to teach my, I don't have to teach my son about microaggressions. I don't have to teach mm-hmm. my son to watch out for cops. Really, like you, you know. So there mm-hmm. are different yeah. conversations. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like at least that way in is something we can all do to start this conversation. Oh, and I love that. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I would say it was like from your end, like we have to teach our kids more so connect with our kids and say, yeah, that was a microaggression that you felt Mm. that thing that made you feel like Mm. this small, this is what that was. And the conversation on your end would be like, you know, making a statement like that, that's a microaggression Mm -hmm. or behaving in this way. That's a microaggression. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. So that's where we differ a little bit. We got to, we got to watch, we got to catch them and you know. Yeah. And also I think that part of it is that it's going to take for, white people and non-black people to get a little bit uncomfortable Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because I feel like there are everyday things that are just based in white supremacy norms and based in implicit biases that are comfortable. Yeah. And so if this is the way that I'm used to living, am I willing to give up that comfort for someone else to be comfortable, be comfortable, become more comfortable? Yeah. And that's, that's a hard decision. Yeah, for a lot of people. Yeah. These are hard conversations. These are hard conversations as white people because, yeah. I, I mean, in, for I can only speak for me, but I'm afraid I'm going to say the wrong thing all the time. Yeah. I don't want to mm-hmm. say the wrong thing. I, I want to be the best ally I can be. And um, so, yeah, you get out. You, you have to not be afraid to be messy with this stuff. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Um, and I that's th- so I hard learned to about do. that with the, when we were originally starting the podcast and we had some trans conversations and somebody was teaching us because we were trying to figure out how we could be the best ally to the trans community because we're like a couple of like old lesbians who came out in the 90s, for God's sakes, were like, I don't, you know, like the language has changed. I'm like, <laughs> I'm at home having Taco Tuesday. Like, I don't know what everybody's calling themselves. Like, I'm an old lesbian. Like, that's what I know. Mm-hmm. So like I we were trying to like get educated. And the thing that um, the woman told us, which I thought was really, really helpful, is she said, if you make a mistake, like, don't go into like your guilt about it. Make some big deal. Just go, oh, I'm sorry. And then just keep the conversation moving. And I thought that was so incredibly mm-hmm. helpful because mm-hmm. it, like. I think sometimes like as a white guilt person, one might think I have to show how sorry I am, but not thinking through the position I'm putting you in by putting the spotlight on you and continuing to draw attention to the thing that I just fucked up. And now you're making like, and now you're making that person comfort you. Yes. That marginalized mm-hmm. person comfort you right. when yeah. you're the right. one. Who messed up? Just own it. Yeah, just say sorry. Yeah. Own it. And do better and next forward. time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I promise to do better next time. I'm so sorry. Yeah. I love this conversation because you guys are clearly, um, you know, on the right path to, you know, supporting, you know, just, you know, queer community and, you know, uh, BLM, you know, community. You know, you guys are on the right path because you keep saying one word that I love and that's educate yourselves. Educate mm-hmm. yourself. That self-education is it's just, I think that's the way. Like, yeah. we're here to assist. Like Mia says, I'm here to answer questions. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't, maybe don't understand something, you know, there are a lot of things culturally about Black people that, you know, I'm pretty sure that white people don't understand. That's okay. We're here to answer those questions. But at yeah. least you, you know, made the first step. I think for me, if, if, I, if I had to dwindle it down to what non-Blacks can do for the Black community right now, that would be, educate or listen, mm-hmm. um, empathize and support. Mm-hmm. Um, cause Mia, like Mia said it, you know, it, you know, it's, it's, it's not good enough just to also, like she said, just to feel uncomfortable, but maybe to put yourself in a position to make others feel more comfortable, uh, and support looks like maybe using your platform, you know, yeah. to, uh, you know, lift voices of, you know, trans community or black lives matter community or whatever, you and know, taking like, what happens in these conversations and bringing those to those kind of other conversations where like a family member says something a little racist, yeah. a little homophobic, a yeah. little whatever. And then using that as an opportunity to be like, Hey, like I'm going to speak up now. Like this is my moment yes. where I get to talk and have to shine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one of the things That's that hard. I wanted to ask about, I mean, it's not even really asking. It's more just like, I'm, I want to take like temperature of everyone in this conversation. Like, I think it's not for me personally, it's not a hopeful time we're in a pandemic. We have a president who's not leading and who is literally dog whistling racist language. And like, so like there's maybe a portion of the country that's out here trying to educate themselves or whatever, but how do we remain hopeful that there's that other portion of the country that's just not, and they're digging their heels in and, and, and putting up all lives matter banners and doing all this other shit instead of just like trying to be an ally and trying to be like, yeah, like I see systemic racism. Like I, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with remaining positive. Like I liked what you said about the kids teaching our kids, and I was thinking of some of the moments that we've been having with our kids, and I know Jamie's doing it too. And that gives me a glimmer of hope. But I don't know. Like if I can't find hope, how do you find hope? I find hope a few ways, and some of them are going to sound a little odd. But when I see that. Black people and our allies are literally like 
burning this place down, the the things that are not serving us, that brings me hope. Mm. Like we're not prioritizing property. We're prioritizing our livelihoods. We are also out here voting and we are out here like, you know, in New York, they have all these, you know, black gay men, like progressive people going into Congress, like little things like that. Like I latch on to those little things like, yes, over here. Yes, this, yes, you Mm -hmm. like all of that. I, I, I hold on to that. And that gives me hope. And I know that when that, when I meet with people that are willing to flip this shit upside down, that people that are not just complicit, that gives me hope because it may not be my lifetime, but I know that the generation after me has a hell of a role model that it will not stay this way. Yeah. Mm. And I I think that Gen Z, that's also hope right there. I mean, Mm. the tenacity, all of what we're seeing in them, they're like, we're not standing for this shit. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. They're just like, when I see the amount of protests like organized by teenagers and high school students, I'm just like, Yes, children yeah, and, and non-black and not and, and uh, you know non-black communities. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're they're like we're, we're standing with you. Mm-hmm. I don't give a shit who says what. I'm just gonna it say be- white people have never been so nice to me in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's trying so hard. Everyone <laughs> is trying so hard, and there are parts of me that wants to be like pessimistic, like oh, you're just doing this to feel better. But then, no, it's like. Also, you've never done this before. And right. we've said all these things before. So maybe There's this is change. the time. Maybe there right. is a change. You have to take every little win, huh? Like you, you I got to hold. That's, a, that's how I get up every day. Holding on to that mm-hmm. glimpse of hope. Because that's all we have. You know, if we don't have that, we don't have anything. Mm. Um, or else we're just going to burn everything down and, and burn with it. You know, because <laughs> And I just feel like Black people, especially African-Americans specifically, our people have made it this far. We've made it very, very far. Like our lives look nothing like they did before. And I feel like if we just keep on the way, not necessarily maybe doing the way that we've done things, but that if we can make it this far, we can get where we're going. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to ask you before we, before we go to like takeaways for both of our listeners, is is there any topic that we didn't cover that we want to talk about? We should talk about. I, mean, I feel like we hit a lot of shit in there. We did. We did. Good stuff. <laughs> oh, I did want to say something I thought of, and then I got distracted because I'm a mom. <laughs> but in the conversation with kids, like I think it's important. A lot of the movies and things that are out here focus on history. So yes, it's important to teach your kids the history of all that has brought us to where we are today, but also letting them know what's happening currently. Mm-hmm. So that they know that it's not this like distant history. I feel like in the beginning, we kind of made that mistake with our son. Like he was like, racism, that doesn't really happen. Like, you know, people don't anymore. get lynched. It does like, like it didn't exist and it wasn't a thing. So making sure that you're, oh, you're teaching your history lesson, but you're also teaching current lessons. is very, very important. I'm just, I have to read what you wrote in the note <laughs> because I love what you wrote. You said you run the risk of that distant time seeming like that's the boogeyman. Yeah. And it's not real. Yeah, it seemed like it's a fairy tale and it's not real and it doesn't happen. Right. Of course, history is a hard thing to fathom, especially as a young mind, even for me. like, for- And that's a parallel, too, to the queer community. Like we had Richie Jackson on and he talked a lot about you got to know your gay history because, you know, gay men, you know, trans women, trans men, they're all we're all still in danger, you know, of, of mm-hmm. bad things happening. So it's like we all need to know our history and where we come from. So you don't take that for granted. Mm-hmm. 
Well, in terms of the takeaways, you have some things that you had written down about perfectionism, like implicit biases. Do you want to like go into a little bit of that stuff? Yeah. And so I thought about it earlier when Jamie was talking about just not wanting to say the wrong thing and wanting to be perfect and not being willing to get messy. Like those are all elements of like white supremacy norms, like having to be a perfectionist, having that fear of conflict. Like, you know, being just a little defensive because you don't want anybody to like jump on you or things like that. Like, so you like just being able to identify those things and then interrupt them when they're happening, like stop your own, like yourself or your teammates or who or your network, stop them in their tracks. Like, you know, this is what that sounds like. You know, that sense of like sense of urgency is another one that I've had to tackle in the workplace. Like, no, you don't need something right now when your black coworker is, you know, is processing a trauma that you didn't even consider this day. You know, hoarding, the hoarding of power and wanting to keep, like I said, not wanting to get uncomfortable, not wanting to give up, you know, the leg up that you have on the rest of the world for fear of where that may leave you. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. being willing to interrupt those things, like those definitely my takeaway for the listeners. Like if you want to be impactful, those are the things that you have to acknowledge and then interrupt and intervene. You have to be your own police officer in your head up there. Yes. That's good. And get messy. You got to police yourself on that one. Yeah. Yeah. I think think one of the things I've heard loudest and clear is like, just to, to always say something, I can think of times where, you know, family members have said things and I just like, you know, close my mouth, leave mm-hmm. the room or just like, you don't say anything because I'm, I'm so wine, turn around yeah. roll my eyes because well, I'm so I'm so as a general rule I thought that was like growth for me because I'm so fucking argumentative that I was trying to be like just like just shut your mouth walk away but now I'm like realizing it just can't shut my mouth anymore. anymore I have to be like if you're going to do that don't say that around me like I don't want to hear that that's yeah. not okay you know mm-hmm. it's that's a that's that's part of that uncomfortableness that we all have. And run the risk of making everyone in the room look at you like, and, and a little the hell are they talking about? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Which, let's, let's be honest, it's me. They're going to be looking at me like that for something else, too. No so it's what. fine. Yeah, it's no fine. matter what. Yeah. I, I think I stopped operating that way a long time ago. I had someone say to me once before, um, silence is agreement. You know, silence it, is it, what? Everyone, agreement. Silence is agreement. Oh, right. Like when when you have someone in your, in your um, you know, you know, audience who's who's obviously saying the wrong thing, who obviously has some type of, you know, racial bias or whatnot, and you say nothing. You just mm-hmm. let it slide. You're agreeing, like, yeah. in silence. Yeah, I would take it correct. a step forward and say silence is violence, because if you're not mm-hmm. speaking up against this, this is yeah, going to continue. Yeah. But I'm sorry, I cut yeah. you off. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, 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 that's that's perfect. I mean, because this, this is how we change the world. I mean, mm-hmm. it may sound minute but these conversations in our living room in our bedrooms and not without family members this is how we change the world later on down the line yeah yeah well i'm i'm for one i'm glad you guys are in the podcasting space and that you're bringing your <laughs> really amazing voices to to the podcasting world like people are gonna need to hear it white parents can listen to your podcast too yeah yes. you yeah. know yeah. and we just should like absolutely this, just like to straight people can something. listen to our podcast. the lessons are for all the complaints are for all exactly. the venting is for all yes. <laughs> the personality is for all yeah yeah, yeah. Let, tell everyone where it. they can get your podcast and all that stuff and we can do the same so transparency podcast that's t-r-a-n-s-p-a-r-e-n-t-s-y Podcast is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, all the things. All the, all the platforms. <laughs> Basically all, all of them. All the, the big platforms. Google Podcasts. It's 
anywhere that you can search transparency. And, and I just want to thank you guys for the warm welcome. Oh my God. So oh my welcome God. to the We're podcast so, community. Yeah. Listen, but also is there, are there places they, I know you guys have, you know, like social groups and stuff, the social media. Yes. So transparency podcast on Instagram, you can follow us there. I am on Instagram at big mama Mia. If there are any black LGBTQ plus moms or parents listening or parents of black LGBTQ plus children, listening you can find us on facebook and instagram at black lgbtq plus moms i love it go give them a follow right now go follow them yes yeah and we're if these ovaries could talk and we're on all the social platforms and just find us that's fine (laughs) thank you guys so much for reaching out to us and for and for like this i feel like this is our first podcast collaboration and i think i I feel pretty good about it i I love this nine five so good well you go put your babies to bed do your thing yes I got to go see how crazy my wife is right now. Tell her, tell her we owe her a drink. Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> She'll take a beer. <laughs>